Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Pelvic floor rehabilitation. It's not the first thing people think about when they think about doing exercises in PT, but in fact, it may be one of the most important areas to learn how to exercise correctly because it may help you to avoid incontinence as you get older. Now, today I am joined on the line with... Allison Alcroft, she is the head of Hands-On Physical Therapy, and we're going to be talking not just about the ladies today, we're going to be talking about the men as well. There's a lot of different learning that needs to take place for men and women when it comes to understanding what the pelvic floor does, where it is in their body, and why it's so important to do exercises to strengthen this area that we are all in for some learning this evening. So thank you for joining me today, Allison. You're very welcome. Now, you've been doing physical therapy for years. This is this is something you have created a passion for. Is that right? A passion for the pelvis? Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. developed a passion for the pelvis. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, as I get older, as all of us sort of start to get into these ages where we worry about things like, you know, incontinence and sneezing and all of a sudden there's, oh, what happened there? So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that people can understand what is the pelvic floor and what does it do and why do we need to make it stronger? So let's start with some basic anatomy. We're talking pelvic floor. Are we talking like abdominal muscles, back muscles, or just down yonder? Where are we talking? Well, the pelvic floor itself would be considered the sling of muscles that um, they're like a hammock that runs between the pubic bone at the front to the tailbone at the back. But they're also, you know, part of the core. So the pelvic floor works with the abdominals and it works with the back muscles and it works with our diaphragm and and our breathing and the hips. And there's hip muscles that pass through there. So there's a, a lot that is contained, but the pelvic floor itself, um, is that just lower sling of muscles that sort of holds our bowel and bladder, uterus in place. And that's sort of the whole idea of trying to strengthen the pelvic floor. So when we think about men and women who have problems with the strength of their, their pelvis, what are we talking about? Are, is, is incontinence one of the only symptoms, or are there other sort of symptoms somebody might have that could give them a little, a little hint that they're not, they're not doing well down there? Well, incontinence is certainly one thing if you're leaking a little bit with your laughing or coughing or sneezing, but also for some people, uh, high frequency, if you're going to the bathroom a lot, or if you have nocturia where you're getting up all night long because you got to pee, those are sorts of um, the urinary problems. But a number of um, people with these kinds of problems also have maybe some back issues or have had a hernia surgery or... um, you know, some abdominal trauma. So there's a lot of different things that can, you know, work into it. Well, let's talk about the guys, because I think sometimes when we think about incontinence, we often think of women, and we will talk about women in particular later in the show. But there are some unique areas of your practice that you've mentioned you seem to see a lot of men for, and there are some ways that they could help improve potential outcomes for procedures should they need to have one, particularly prostate procedures, if they were to learn some things beforehand. So 
what sort of things are you seeing in your practice and what are some of the things you have to teach some of your male clients to help them through any sort of medical issue that they may have? Well, first of all, most men aren't really in tune with their pelvic floor because unlike women who, you know, our whole lives, we've got things going on down there, the men don't really, you know, have those issues. So what I um, see happening is there's um, patients that are uh, undergoing a prostatectomy, maybe a robotic-assisted prostatectomy or maybe even a TERP procedure. They may become incontinent after these procedures. So what is ideal, I think, is for these gentlemen to come and see me before their surgery. So then I can train them on pelvic floor contractions and pelvic floor exercises before the procedures. So on healthy tissue, they learn what to do. And then after the procedure, they come back and see me, and I will help them through a number of other sessions to continue to get better postoperatively. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I know that for people who are undergoing, for example, a joint replacement, they'll often do some physical therapy sessions to strengthen the muscles of the leg if they're having a knee replacement so that they can really help give themselves the best possible surgical outcome, knowing how to work the muscles and keep them stronger. And it sounds like it's the same thing. Now, in this situation, you mentioned a couple of procedures, particularly for men for the prostate. This could be done if the prostate's enlarged. This could be done if there's prostate cancer. So there's a variety of reasons why these procedures might be done. So it sounds like what you're saying is learning how to strengthen those muscles before you have a procedure will do nothing but help you subsequent to the procedure to work on trying to recognize some of the same exercises and same muscle areas that will help you to get back your abilities. What are some of the consequences of having these types of prostate procedures? I know sometimes it's uncomfortable for men to think or talk about it, but I think we're talking about incontinence, and it's not just bladder incontinence. Is that right? Yes. You can have bladder incontinence, and some men that have to go further afield and have other um, procedures done may also have uh, fecal incontinence. But immediately post-op from the prostatectomies, it's the bladder incontinence that's the biggest culprit. That actually can get better very quickly if people are doing the right exercises. Is it ever too late? I mean, if somebody's about to have a procedure and they go, boy, I really wish I knew how to do some of the therapy to improve the speed at which I get my bladder continence back again subsequent to surgery, could they possibly actually come and see you after the procedure? I mean, I always think to myself, you know, even if you didn't do your PT before your joint replacement, you still go afterwards because there's some stuff <laughs> to learn. So for those people who might yeah. not have had come in before, they could still get a benefit from learning what to do afterwards, right? Absolutely. And those are the, <clears throat> the, those are the people that really, I would call them sort of, the, their outcomes may happen just a little bit slower because they didn't have the benefit of the prehab. But absolutely, I get some men six, nine months, 12 months, two years down the line who sadly are still in diapers or pads. And, um, you know, I have to educate them and we've got to get to work and I've got to teach them the exercises. They're often very, very weak. Maybe they've been doing the exercises incorrectly because, like, they went on Dr. Google and tried to figure things out for themselves. And, you know, but absolutely, at any stage in the game, you could benefit from pelvic floor therapy. And it's not even just for when you talk about some of the consequences subsequent to surgery. It's not just for 
bladder issues or bowel issues, ED is something else that can happen that could potentially be uh, prevented or treated or modified in some way so that if there's any issues with erectile dysfunction subsequent to prostate surgery, that could help too, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of people are, are very worried about the ED, even just going into the surgery. But then after the surgery, they're so incontinent, they, they don't worry about the ED. But then, you know, one month, two months down the road, as they're getting drier, the ED sort of becomes the most concerning long-term consequence for the gentleman. So there is a lot of emerging research actually coming out of Australia that has some protocols regarding erectile dysfunction and how important it is to get blood to the penis after the surgery because of neuropraxia. You have neuropraxia after the surgery, the penis isn't getting its regular blood flow, like the housekeeping that happens sort of, you know, throughout the night, men can get four to six erections. You don't even know what's happening. And then that stops. So what can happen over time is the penis can actually shorten. It can, you can develop contractures. You can get Pyrones disease, which is like a crooked penis, and also ED on top of everything else. So there's some really simple things that can be done to help to prevent those sort of bad outcomes. Well, and that's really important because I know that for a lot of men, particularly if you're having surgery for any type of cancer diagnosis, sometimes you're so relieved to have the cancer treated that you don't put a lot of emphasis on some of these other areas, but just give it a few months when you find out everything's taken care of from the tumor perspective, Mm -hmm. and now you really want to focus on some of these areas that can help you get back to the lifestyle that you were living before. All right, I'm Dr. Mm -hmm. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We have Allison Alcroft on the line from Hands-On Physical Therapy, and she is a physical therapy expert at helping with pelvic rehab. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the things that can be helping both men and women to really keep the area of the pelvic floor as strong as possible so they can avoid some of the consequences that sound like it happens to everybody as they get older, but might not actually have to be the case. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Alison Alcroft on the line. She is a physical therapy expert with hands-on physical therapy here in Honolulu. And we were just talking about some of the benefits of doing, I like the way you called it, prehab. So prehab, prehab <laughs> and then also rehab for men in particular when they're having any type of surgical procedure to help them avoid some of the consequences that can happen if they don't take care of some of these concerns, including strengthening the muscles and learning how to get their body back to where it was subsequent to surgery. So right before the break, we were talking about that. And, you know, Allison, you mentioned neuropraxia. Give us a good definition of neuropraxia. Well, because of the surgery, there can be nerve damage to, you know, the nerves that serve the penis. So what happens is um, the nerves aren't working correctly, so you may have some sensory changes, but also some vascular changes that can happen related to the surgery. So four weeks after the surgery is when it's recommended that men start looking at trying to increase blood flow into the penis so that the, the, the penis kind of learns to accept the blood again. And there's, you know, medications that can be taken. There are injections that can be done. And there's also 
exercises. Austin Powers okay. here, but the vacuum-assisted device, which can actually bring blood flow into the penis. Well, and these are all important things because these are ways to exercise the area to get back to restoring a level of function that, you know, a lot of people are afraid they're going to lose if they have any type of surgical procedure. So, so there's a lot of things that can be done for men who are having any type of issues. Now, even if they don't have a prostate surgery or some type of surgery, they may still need to strengthen the pelvic floor for other reasons. There are some exercises they can learn to do to help them with that, I would imagine. Yes. Well, we will use, um, in the clinic, I use biofeedback um, with the men and the women, which means that I use, um, <clears throat> for the men, I use mostly external sensors, which they're like little pediatric cardiac electrodes. I put them externally around the anal sphincter, and then the men can actually look at the computer and see their pelvic floor working, Okay. And it's a really good tool for, for them to sort of take what they're feeling and what they're seeing and, and get the complete idea of doing the correct exercise. Well, and that's a great way to just get the immediate feedback of knowing you're doing it right. I mean, how many different exercises do we think we're following on any sort of, you know, whether you follow a video platform or even now Zoom, right? You think you're doing mm-hmm. yoga, you swear you're doing it right. You look like you think you look good doing it and then somebody looks at you and they're like, "What are you doing?" You're what? like, "That picture." No, you're not. So, it's always good to get that visual feedback and to have somebody explain where you may think you're well, doing something right and you might not be. So, that's Actually, a lot of men will use every muscle but the external urethral sphincter. They're tightening their glutes, they're tightening their adductors, they're like squeezing their fists and holding their breath. But they're not actually doing like this little contraction that has to happen with this little muscle. So that's where biofeedback can be kind of handy. (laughs) Now, you mentioned also it helps for women, too. So let's talk about women and incontinence because, you know, years ago I remember talking with a colleague saying, oh, everybody when they get old has that. And they're like, no, that doesn't have to be the case. Not everyone when they hit a certain age suddenly can't control their their, their bladder or bowels. So there are some changes that occur over time. What can women do to sort of help avoid what, what they might have thought was inevitable but actually could be preventable for dealing with some of the bladder and issues that you describe? So it's really similar with the women, and it's very common for women to have a little bit of incontinence, especially as they approach menopause. Um, there's muscular changes and some weakness that can happen. However, you're absolutely right. Nobody should be incontinent. Uh, a lot of people come in the in the room that says to me, like, oh, it's just a normal part of aging. It's not. And there's no reason why people can't stay drier, get drier, and not need to wear protection anymore. So for women, I also, um, if they have a weak pelvic floor, we'll use biofeedback. With women, we can use internal sensors, which um, goes in, into the vagina, and they squeeze. And, again, they can see on the uh, screen exactly you know, how is their contraction? Is it well-coordinated? Can they hold? Can they do uh, strength exercise? Can they do an endurance exercise and sort of train them properly in the uh, the use of pelvic floor contraction? Now, I did and hear once... And when they get stronger, they stay drier. Absolutely. I did hear once that the worst time to try and do a Kegel exercise <clears throat> is when you got to go. You know, I mean, people often say, how do you do Kegels? And they go, oh... You know, it's like you're trying to stop peeing while you're peeing. And I'm like, yeah, but but that's not the best time to practice that exercise because then, 
then you're going to have some problems. So when is the best time to do Kegel exercises and how do you know you're doing them right? Well, the Kegel exercise, there's protocols. So we have, we want to strengthen the type one muscles and the type two. So type one are your endurance and type two are your sort of strength muscles. So we want to get the right number of exercises of both of those muscle, muscle fibers and then you do them usually anywhere between three and six times a day, depending on the patient and what they're doing. You want them to work in different positions, maybe lying, maybe sitting, and maybe standing. And so we use the biofeedback to help people figure out what they're doing in all positions so that they're working, you know, the pelvic floor, um, both kinds of muscle fibers. Did that answer your question? <laughs> oh, yeah. And don't do it when you're peeing. Don't do it then because you're going to give your bladder this mixed message of you got to go. No, you don't. You got to go. No, stop that. And that can be problematic. Your pelvic pelvic floor and your your bladder work kind of when your bladder is contracting, that's urge. It's time to go. When your pelvic floor is contracting, it's like it's not time to go. We're going to stop this. So it's very confusing to the bladder to be doing it. I tell my patients. Maybe do it once or twice. Like, in total, how does it feel? Can you stop the flow? Good. That's what you do while you're exercising. So just to give them that little education as to what it might feel like, but then the knowledge that that's not what they're going to do all the time. All right. Exactly. Yep. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Allison Alcroft from Hands-On Physical Therapy about the ways in which some medications can help to augment some of the efforts to keep continence or to deal with some of the the urinary incontinence that can happen for men and women. And then what are some other ways that people can learn how to get in touch with physical therapists and tell their provider maybe they need some help in this area. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Hawaii Naturopathic Retreat Center. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and Allison Alcroft is on the line. She is a physical therapy expert from Hands-On PT. And we've been talking about ways to avoid incontinence. Just when you thought it was inevitable, it doesn't have to be. And what are some of the ways that you can help strengthen the pelvic floor to prevent that? So right before the break, we were talking about Kegel exercises, but that's not the only type of exercise that women can do to help strengthen their pelvic floor, is it? Kegel exercise, well, no, often the Kegel exercises go hand-in-hand with core work. So we really want to get a good, strong, the deepest core muscle, the transversus abdominis. We really want to train that to work well. And we can also look at the glutes and the hips and how well stabilized they are. And then breathing and how you breathe and your breathing technique also all play a role in, you know, if somebody's got a very, very weak core or they've... um, you know, they're sort of overweight, maybe there's a lot of weight in their abdominals, that can contribute to incontinence. Well, and I know for some women who have had a lot of children, there may be some other issues going on with the pelvic organs. You know, they could have uterine prolapse or even bladder prolapse, and there could be some other anatomical reasons why they might be having some troubles. How might somebody know if that's the case? Well, for a lot of women that have prolapse, they often complain about a heaviness in their pelvis. 
they'll just say if they've been standing a lot or doing a lot of work, they just they just feel a heaviness, and then they have more leakage. Um, so that's uh, often I'll get some of those patients from your gynecologist who um, will often actually fit them with a pessary. And a pessary is something that is can be inserted into the vagina that actually helps support the pelvic floor organs and um, the bladder and the urethra and or the rectum even in the case of, of that. So they come to me, they've been fitted with a pessary, and then but they still need pelvic floor strengthening. So I will add sort of some um, pelvic floor exercises and core work. They need a, a good, strong core because a weak core is like just think about downward pressure through like all your organs all the time. If you're not strong, you just lose that support and then you can have leakage. If you don't use it, you lose it. That's a phrase that I've heard far too many times. (laughs) And I think it definitely applies, particularly in this area. So when we think about medications, I'm sure you see patients who, in addition to wanting to do physical therapy, are also taking some of the common medicines, both men and women, to try and help them to treat their major conditions, particularly whether it be bladder or for men, prostate or anything along those lines. Do you think the medications are helpful to work with the therapy? Sometimes I think if people have a medicine that they feel works, they might just say, oh, well, I don't need therapy because this medicine is fixing it for me. But but that may not be the case. Is that right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> most, and this is just my observation. This isn't like, you know, a study or anything. But most of the patients that are taking medications are kind of like, I'm not sure it really helps. <laughs> I just don't know. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, take the medication, but let's just add, let's add these exercises. I'm going to give you education. We're going to work on your core. And you know what I mean? You hit it from like a multi kind of faceted approach to, to give them maybe the like shock and awe, right? Best possible outcome. Well, and it could be synergistic, you know, if you really figure out how to work on strengthening the pelvic floor muscles and you happen to take medications that eliminate some of the extra bladder spasms that you might have, this could also be very helpful. Kind of this one plus one equals three approach instead of one plus one (laughs) equals two. So it really could work together in combination. Now, absolutely. For for men and women, one of the other areas that they often don't talk about so much, which also gets better with, with doing some of the rehabilitation and therapy, is fecal incontinence. That's something that, yes. you know, a lot Everybody's of folks... favorite yeah, subject. Their least favorite, I think. But there are some <laughs> treatments that can really help for that as well. Is that right? Well, yes. I think a lot of the fecal incontinence, you have to look at diet. So there's, you know, a lot of diet information that can be given, not not necessarily by me. I can sort of, you know, give some suggestions. But um, diet is important. Um, and then looking at, you know, the what kind of fecal incontinence are you having? You know, you look at that Bristol stool chart and whether somebody's like just super loose or they super hard and constipated. So, you know, you, you're trying to have a certain kind of bowel movement because, some bowel movements are just more likely to be contained than others. And fiber and, is a good thing. Yes, yes. And additionally, the pelvic floor. But in the case of fecal incontinence, I tr- you try to get them to contract more what we call the back passage or around the anal sphincter, right? So that's 
different from the urinary sphincter where we're trying to bring that a little more forward. The urinary sphincter would be like feeling like you're stopping the flow of urine. The bad passage is more like stop the gas. You're at a party. You got to pass gas. Don't do it. What are you going to do? That, that's that muscle you have to try and find. Well, and that's not so easy. You know, I think for some folks, <laughs> no. if they have, if they just don't have the sensation down there, you know, then they might not be able to do that. And it, uh, it certainly does lend itself to having some more of an emphasis that you really have to put on trying to keep the whole pelvic floor strong. You know, it really is a combination of, of working on keeping the muscles strong, but also learning how to use them correctly. Because you yes, mentioned and earlier. You need to use overflow. So sometimes you're going to bring in other muscle groups to help. For people that have, you know, that are very weak, you may need to say, okay, we're going to bring in your glutes or your adductors, and we're going to try and get these other muscles to help the um, the pelvic floor muscles to work. Well, now one of the unique things about the physical therapy area that you practice is that you really focus on pelvic rehabilitation, really trying to work on those areas. Some folks might see physical therapists for other medical conditions. There's there's a particular specialty that you're in. So if somebody's seeing somebody for, you know, shoulder pain or ankle pain, that may not be the same person they need to see for these other sorts of rehab services. Is that right? Yes. Well, pelvic floor therapists have to have some sort of continuing education. It's, you know, usually a multi-day course on the mainland where you are learning how to do, because we're doing internal work. Quite often we are working with um, doing trigger point work or internal work inside the pelvis. So that could be rectally or vaginally. So usually you know, people have that kind of extra training. You don't generally graduate with that, um, although maybe some schools are training in that now, but it's usually you know postgraduate sort of work that you're doing. With APTA, or Herman and Wallace are the, you know, two big, um, you know, academic teachers of this kind of approach. And now when somebody decides they're going to, they need this sort of service and they want to see you, this is something that they could mention to their providers. Where are you guys located? Where, where do people have an opportunity to get access to the type of pelvic rehab you're providing? Well, our clinic, Hands-On Physical Therapy, which we treat everything, but we do have an emphasis on women's and male, uh, male pelvic floor therapy. We're located in the Alamoana building, which is at Alamoana above the Bank of Hawaii. You can park, um, you know, in the mall and come on over, and we're on the 11th floor. We usually require a referral from a doctor for most insurances. But feel free to ask your doctor. If you think this is something that would help you, feel free to ask your doctor for a referral. And then we can always, you know, do an assessment and and, um, make a plan. And hopefully, you know, it's something that we can help you with. And no age is too old for some exercise and therapy in the pelvic area. Is that right? (laughs) I've had a 95-year-old patient come through (laughs) and was interested in, um, you know, you never know what people are going to be interested in. You're just there to help. Let's just say that. Do you have any particular success story of someone that you'd like to share with us? Um, I did. I had a gentleman that had come to me, and he was having problems with bladder retention, and he was having to catheterize about six to eight times a day. And he just had a very weak pelvic floor, also had a lot of back pain, 
And with, uh, in the matter of about two months, he was completely voiding on his own, normal frequency, and not having to catheterize anymore. And that was just, and no back pain, just completely recovered. Well, that that's kind of cool. That's absolutely inspirational for somebody to go from having to self-catheterize to now having yeah. bladder continence. That's that's definitely a story that, that bears repeating because of the benefit that you were able to provide him. Well, I really want to thank you for joining us today. We're going to have to talk again about some ways that all of us can really focus on finding where is the pelvic floor and how do we make it stronger and what to do if we're having some of those symptoms that don't have to occur with age, as you mentioned. So thanks to Alison Alcroft from Hands-On Physical Therapy for sharing her expertise with us today. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you next week when we talk more about health and how to stay well right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. 